Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. has been messing around in Ukraine over there. But you, on the other hand, sent your son over there. You're, you're selling access to the president just like he was. So you you're got a damn money. liar, man. That's not true. And no one has ever said that? No one the has proved that? No. You said, said I set up my son to work in an oil company. Isn't that what you said? I Get your word straight, Jack. You know, we are at an inflection point, I believe, in the world economy not just the world economy in the world it occurs every three or four generations as one of as the uh, one of the top military people said to me in a secure meeting the other day 60, 60 million people died between 1900 and 1946 and uh, since then we established a liberal world order and that hadn't happened in a long while a lot of people died but nowhere near the chaos and now is a time when things are shifting we're going to, there's going to be a new world order out there and we've got to lead it and we've got to unite the rest of the free world in doing it. So anyway, the governor and I, and we were all, um, doing a tour of the library here and, um, talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time when we think about a day in the life of our children. As we all know, elections matter. And when folks vote, they order what they want. And in this case, they got what they asked for. It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Every day it is time for us to agree. Talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time. I am here, standing here on the northern flank, on the eastern flank, talking about what we have in terms of the eastern flank and our NATO allies. is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I mean, I don't know. We must together work together to see where we are, where we are headed, where we are going, and our vision for where we should be, but also see it as a moment, yes, to together address the challenges. We have the ability to see what can be unburdened by what has been, and then to make the possible actually happen.
What is at stake at this very moment? What is at stake this very moment are some of the guiding principles around the NATO alliance as it relates to what we need to do domestically as well as, as what we need to do in terms of this issue generally. We have, as the president said, uh, reevaluated what we're doing. Based on what we've just been able to see, and because we've seen it or not, doesn't mean it hasn't happened. But just limited to what we have seen. Has the White House had any contact with Justice Thomas, given his hospitalization? Do you have any updates there? I'm not aware of any direct uh, contacts. Of course, we wish him a uh, speedy recovery uh, and, of course, have thoughts, uh, thoughts uh, out to his family. And just a quick follow-up on the NATO trip. Can you give us just a big picture of what would a successful NATO summit look like to the White House? What are we looking for to measure that? Sure. I mean, I think what's important to remember here from the beginning of the, presi of the, of the president's presidency, um, but also certainly over the last couple And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. I did it! I don't feel great, but I feel much better with a diet and a change of... Well, I'm having a normal dip now, but I went to pouches for a day, and that helps. So I promised a podcast, and here we are, and that's your intro to babbling fucking morons. And, you know, once again, before we do it, you know, because today's going to be SCOTUS Hunter Biden, I was going to do a Meet the Press this week on Meet the Press dun, 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 and do a whole bunch of slides and make something fun, but I ran out of time. So, but... Just remember, as we segue through all this, and we won't have slides, you're going to see my ugly face today. Um, I might be able to snag a couple of the, you know, stand out. Uh, this is the hypocrisy of everything we do. Um, we're, we're doing a literal Supreme Court nomination, and a lot of people in here are going to talk about Kavanaugh, Coney Barrett, Stoller kids. I mean, we just did this, you know, two years ago. But I want you to remember that the President of the United States filibustered blacks and Latinos because they had an R and they outright said at fundraisers, well, we can't let the Republicans do that because they can't be the first one to do it. So they really don't care. And understand a tweet that I put out there and I was going to screenshot, but it's really true. Our media is so bad that they could have nominated an actual pedophile. As long as she was black, had a vagina, or even was a dude that said he thinks he has or feels like he has a vagina and a D behind their name, the media would justify it's all good. And more importantly, if you're a follower of this show, I've been talking for years about minor attracted person and how many stories we put up that kitty porn, child rapist, all these fuck faces, they don't see it as a problem. Because the more you destroy morals, the more you don't have religion and they can replace your religion with their religion, which is CRT, LGBT, EIEIO. And the simple fact that America sucks and without us, you'd all be in re-education camps because the Republicans are evil. I mean, that's just how it goes. So this whole pedophile thing, people are, some people I see on Twitter are shocked, but they, 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 you're not listening to what they're saying. You're a moron. So going to break this down in three little things, cover a couple articles, but I want to start with pre-sound bites. As our media jerk off of the week. 
Ohio Republican, the media jerk-off of the week. Senator Hirono, speaking of, they're really reaching. Now, what I'm about to play for you, this is not a member of Congress, it's not a member of the Senate, but this is somebody who has way more power over your Republican colleagues than, uh, than uh, anybody really should. It's Tucker Carlson. I'm going to play something he said about Judge Jackson, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. So it might be time for Joe Biden to let us know what Kentaji Brown Jackson's LSAT score was. What else she do in the LSATs? Why wouldn't he tell us that? That would settle the question conclusively as to whether she's a once-in-a-generation legal talent, the next learned hand. It would seem like Americans in a democracy have a right to know that and much more before giving her a lifetime appointment, but we didn't hear that. Senator Hirono, uh, I'm not going to curse because it's Sunday and I'd get fired. But can you talk about why what Tucker Carlson just said is so repugnant? Uh, frankly, there's very little that Tucker Carlson says that enlightens anybody. And so, uh, the, you know, what, we're sh what we should be focused on is Judge Jackson's experience, the fact that she has broad support from police organizations, from judges uh, nominated or by Republican presidents. She has broad support. Why? Because she's very even-handed. Something that I can't say about the Trump nominees, by the way. They were not being nominated because they were even-handed. They were being nominated because they had a, basically an ideological agenda, much of it from the Federalist Society. So they really have, the Republicans have a hard time dealing with someone who is actually. One thing that was, I thought, incredibly striking, at times she almost sounded like a conservative. I mean, she's giving almost a tribute to the conservative methodology and interpretation of the Constitution. You look at the text, you look at the original understanding, you don't really consider international law at all, saying that she may depart ways with her former boss, Chief Je the Justice uh, Stephen Breyer. No one thinks that she's going to be a conservative justice. Based on her record, she will be a liberal justice on that Supreme Court. But her willingness to kind of acknowledge conservative judicial methodology, I thought, was interesting. It shows how that has really penetrated the consciousness. And also, uh, that she will hear those arguments up on that Supreme Court. That's a very important quality for a justice to be able to hear. And so, uh, Jeffrey, what's your reaction to this exchange? Uh, Republican Senator Josh Hawley trying to paint Judge Jackson as somehow sympathetic to child porn uh, offenders. I mean, this, this was really extraordinary. You have a judge here who has been on the bench for 10 years almost, and we had the entire half hour of, of Senator Hawley's question about a single case where he got to recite the grisly details of and, and say pedophilia over and over again. This is about appealing to the QAnon audience, this cult that is a big presence in Republican Party politics now that is, is where, where Senator Hawley is trying to ingratiate himself with, with that group and run for president with their support. This has very little to do with Judge, Judge uh, Jackson, who, as has come, come out throughout uh, the hearing today, is one of many judges who have found the sentencing guidelines in these uh, child porn possession cases excessive. Uh, but, I mean, that was really an extraordinary half hour all about a single case. 
Abby, what's your reaction to Senator Hawley's questioning of Judge Jackson on this one case? Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, Jeffrey is absolutely right that this is definitely a dog whistle to the kind of QAnon right. Um, and the substance of the argument, uh, as has been... History on the horizon. Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson preparing for a marathon day of questioning how Republicans are planning to attack her record. We, we turn now to history. Judge Jackson will be facing a first day of questioning after delivering a very personal opening statement yesterday. Well, Democrats and Republicans acknowledging the history made in this... This room. And while Judge Jackson is certainly set to face some very tough questions ahead, she opened her confirmation hearings promising to defend the Constitution. History made on Capitol Hill. I do. Judge Katanji Brown Jackson sworn in as the first black woman nominated to serve on the Supreme Court. The weight of the moment sinking in. Jackson introducing herself to the country as the daughter of school teachers. She credits her father, who later became an attorney, for shaping her passion for law. Seated there behind Judge Jackson, her two daughters and her husband, Patrick Jackson, a cancer surgeon overwhelmed with emotion. And guys, no matter how it works out, this is something we've never seen in the history of the country. A black woman is at SCOTUS confirmation hearings in the Senate, so something to see. In her opening statement yesterday, the federal appeals court judge vowed to defend the Constitution and remain independent. Both parties say they want this to be respectful, but Republicans have made clear they plan to drill down on her record and think she's too soft on crime. Jackson's team says she's ready. I also spoke to her parents who told me they thought yesterday went well and was one of the proudest moments of their lives. Can we just say something about Judge Katanji Brown Jackson? What a feeling that must have been to be there where she was with her parents being able to sit there and watch her. That's yeah. right. A feeling for both of them. There was a lot of emotion in the room. You can see her husband yeah. tapping his foot constantly. Yes, and at I one point saw she that. For a tissue. I don't know if she was on the verge of tears, but a lot of people in the room were. What a, a moment. moment. What a That's moment that was. Too. All right. Backed by beaming family, including her daughter and teary-eyed husband, Judge Jackson thanking her parents for encouraging her on this historic course. Democratic senators noting the magnitude of the moment, confident in the former public defender turned federal judges. I was texting with one of her close friends today, and they told me yesterday was very, very emotional, but that they believe that their friend is like an Olympic athlete who has been training for this well, their whole time. That whole athlete life. is about to enter into the hearing room, and if, 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 if that's the uh, athlete, she's been to several prior Olympics, having faced several confirmation hearings. Eugene, as I turn to you, the court is about to hear some of the biggest hot-button issues of our time, a major case on abortion. Um, she would not sit for that. That case mm -hmm. is being litigated right now. There are affirmative action cases before right. the court. All of these issues are, are very central right now. Mm -hmm. Right, they, they are. And, um, and, and so, uh, however, the temperature will be lower this time just because it doesn't change the ideological balance. I think the Republican senators, who, who frankly would like to run for president someday, Josh Hawley, uh, Ted Cruz, Tom Cotton, I think you'll, you'll hear them um, uh, kind of ask performative questions, um, just to be blunt about it. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're playing to their base. Um, I'm not sure how much serious inquiry point Simone of getting votes and she's expected to get all the Democrats. Studies do show that women face a higher bar in confirmation hearings. Those studies don't even take into consideration women of color generally because there have been so few, obviously none at this level. So today, black women leaders, groups like Black Women's Roundtable, She Will Rise, they're hosting virtual watch parties because yes, this is an historic moment, but Judge Jackson 
also faces a time that is at the intersection of racism and sexism mm -hmm. and intense political divisions. Talk about that in the context of today's questioning and what you heard. Democrats hoping to highlight the qualifications of President Biden's first Supreme Court nominee, while Republicans on the committee have been poring over Judge Jackson's record for clues as to how she would rule as Justice Jackson. Some raising concerns about what they claim are overly lenient sentences in child predator cases. Judge Jackson's allies disputing those claims in what could be a preview of contentious hearing days to come. Heard some potential lines of attack from Republicans along the law enforcement line. How is Judge Jackson in the White House preparing for that? Judge Jackson has been preparing for this moment for weeks, we are told, including running mock hearings led by the White House Counsel's Office. Officials here say she is bracing for tough questions on everything from her position on abortion rights to affirmative action and even the push by some Democrats to put more justices on the bench. Some Republicans are signaling they'll paint her as soft on crime. The White House has already been forcefully pushing back on that. One of her introducers today, Savannah, is Judge Thomas Griffith. He's a well-known conservative jurist and it really underscores the White House's strategy to present her as a bipartisan pick. There could be a few fireworks, Savannah, at the hearings because there are a number of potential 2024 presidential hopefuls who sit on the Judiciary Committee, including Senators Ted Cruz, Tom Cotton, and Josh Hawley. If there are some contentious exchanges, will the president get the political balance he is looking for from this historic pick with the midterms looming very large? Leaders from both parties say they want to keep things civil, but some Republicans are previewing a line of attack. Nicole Killian is in the hearing room where it's all going to happen. A little Hamilton reference there, Nicole. How is this one different? Oh, it is different. Illinois Senator Dick Durbin chairs the Judiciary Committee. How much pressure do you feel to get this right? I feel some. I'll be very honest with you. I want to do this in the right way. I also think the committee's not on trial, but the committee's being watched closely. Republican Josh Hawley has signaled he wants to use the hearings to go after Jackson's sentencing record. And a new Monmouth University poll just out suggests Americans back her appointment by a two-to-one margin. History will be made in this room today in just a few hours when Judge Katanji Brown Jackson sits in this chair behind me. The White House already having to defend her against Republican attacks, claiming that she is soft. Well, thank you so much, Aisha, and thanks to the NAACP for inviting me. Earlier this morning, I was on the steps of the Supreme Court along with over a thousand black women, men, law students from across the country, and so many uh, prominent individuals from all across the women's movement who showed up in support to confirm Judge Jackson. The Black Women Collective, Leadership Collective, along with Sister Rising. Melanie Campbell from the National uh, Black Women's Organization, Janice Mathis, everyone was there. And I just also want to report that uh, the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Senator Dick Durbin, opened up the event and he showed up as well. This is a historic day, a historic day because elections has consequences. And when then-candidate Joe Biden promised to put a black woman on the Supreme Court, back in 2020 we heard him and we began to organize not just to put a woman on his formal ticket which turned out to be kamala harris but a black woman on the supreme court we know that judge katanji brown jackson is extremely qualified and there's no doubt in our mind that she will be confirmed she has presented herself before the united states senate on three occasions and 
she has won the confirmation on the, in a bipartisan fashion on three different occasions. So we suspect that over the next three days, we will hear from members of the Senate Judiciary Committee. She's met with all of them, along with 44 other senators. Uh, they have examined her record. And I believe at the end of this process, she will be confirmed. But of course, we're urging everyone to contact their United States Senator and make sure that they uh, request that their voices be heard uh, and that we confirm Judge Jackson. Michael, I, I've sort of put this this way. If the Republicans could attack her on inflation, they would. <laughs> but there's because that they meaning they don't have really a win in here. There's no win here. They right. want to just simply keep an issue alive that they think might help them. And I guess trying to do a crime hit. Is that what they think here? That yeah. even if you don't, you know, it at least keeps that quote unquote in the news. It keeps it in the news. It also is is driving down to the base. Uh, there's a lot of money being raised off of. Uh, I mean, well, Holly apparently only appears to be interested in this for his fundraising. Right. So know. this is yeah. all. Yeah, Josh Holly just put, put one out today about price, this. Price. Exactly. Yeah. So this is all about the money. Is about how they can leverage that. Uh, they know uh, that even though you don't have Cinema or Mansion uh, having confirmed their support mm. for. Uh, the judge, they'll be there. So McConnell knows that, and he, say, he says what he says. This is a done deal. So the question for the Republicans is, how do we then create it as a placeholder in, in terms of other narratives that we're pushing, whether it's on crime issues, whether it's going to be on inflation, like you said, if we can somehow tack to her that she had a case in which... Right. I know, mean, I'm being facetious, but it seems like that's all that's, they want to be able all, to... That's all they want yeah. to be able to do, and, and, and that's good. That's, that's fine, um, because at the end of the day, they cannot... She's the greatest judge ever. She is so fucking qualified she's the greatest i mean what is wrong with you just what is wrong with you if you don't believe that and i want to play this 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 soundbite they just get to make shit up the, the simplest thing for Republicans would be to kind of have a normal kind of above board hearing, let her be confirmed so she doesn't change the balance of power of the court anyway, and go back to talking about the things that work for them, you know, to go back to crying about gas prices or, 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 or talking about Hunter Biden's laptop or whatever other thing counts as a Republican platform these days. Because she is going to be confirmed and she is going to be well liked while she's confirmed and she's not going against her is, a, is a kind of a waste of their time. But I, I don't want to let the Josh Hawley thing lie because here's, you know, like, here's where I need the Democrats to step up. Because when they try to smear her, I need the Democrats to get up there and defend her just as vociferously as Lindsey Graham defended alleged attempted rapist Brett Kavanaugh. Like, I need that level of energy for the Democrats, especially when they come at her with this, with this trumped up um, uh, alleged issues about uh, her sentencing on uh, for, for sex offenders um, because what Josh Hawley is doing let's be, let's be very clear what Josh Hawley is doing when he tries to do this um, is he's trying to get her killed he is trying to get violence done against a Supreme Court nominee and we know this because when these people go off making their ridiculous claims about child pornography we know that there some of their people show up violently um, to, to do stuff, as happened to the New Hampshire pizza parlor. And you know how I know that Josh Hawley 
knows what Pizzagate is all about? Because guess who's the judge who sentenced the Pizzagate guy? Right. Oh, that was Kataji Brown Jackson. He sentenced the Pizzagate guy to so four years in prison. Her, his, his lawyer had asked for 18 months. The prosecutors actually asked for four and a half years. So she was lenient. She was merciful to the Pizzagate guy, but they're mad, but they're mad at her for that. And so, like, that's where this stuff is coming from. And that's so you need to know where it's coming from. And Democrats need to know how to defend her from this stuff instead of letting her letting her out there on her own. So saying that a guy is a serial rapist and literally saying a female stole her kids from Africa because she's such a racist that that. Yeah, no, but, but that's how they act. They can say whatever they want. And prior to, they were. Opinion by Ruth Marcus. How low will the GOP go in taking on KBJ? Josh Hawley lets us know. Where do we find out whether she likes beer? Maybe we'll accuse her of involvement in a gang rape when she's in high school or being part of a Christian cult. Those were all things they did, but they were prepping it. They were just prepping it. It was just what they had to do. Why? Chris Hayes. Conservatives love nothing more than to be both victor and victim, just utterly addicted to whining, even with a dubious obtained 6-3 majority in row about to fall. Dubious. I mean, the left didn't really ask questions. They just basically jerked her off under the table because she's the greatest thing ever. Just the greatest thing ever. I, I Mazzy Hirono was the worst. But, but here are the lefties. Some of my Republican colleagues and public figures have attempted to undermine your qualifications through their pejorative use of the term affirmative action. And they have implied you were solely nominated due to your race and not for other factors. Apparently, some have even claimed that you need to show your LSAT scores to determine whether you are a top legal mind. This is incredibly offensive and condescending. Let me be clear. Your nomination is about, not about filling a quota. It is about time. It's about time that we have a highly qualified, highly accomplished black woman on the Supreme Court. It's about time our highest court better reflects the country it serves. It's about time that black women and girls across the country can finally see themselves who look like them sitting on the highest court, making decisions that will impact their lives. We are holding a hearing for an accomplished, experienced, highly qualified nominee to the Supreme Court who came to us not through a dark money funded turnstile, but through a fair and honest selection process. Despite your record, we've heard claims that you have, quote, soft on crime. These baseless charges are unfair. A conservative National Review columnist called claims brought by one of my colleagues, quote, meritless to the point of demagoguery. They fly in the face of pledges my colleagues made that they would approach your nomination with civility and respect. 
And fact checkers, including the Washington Post, ABC News, and CNN, have exposed some of these charges as falsehoods. Critics have even stooped to accusing you of sharing the views of the clients you represented, even though they know that your work as an attorney was in service to the Bill of Rights and the Constitution's promise of effective assistance of counsel. Would law enforcement officials and organizations, including the International Association of Chiefs of Police, the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives, and the Fraternal Order of Police have endorsed your nomination if you were soft on crime? Of course not. I'm confident the American people will see through these attacks and any other last-minute attempts to derail your confirmation. Another issue which has come up to my surprise, and I've spoken to my Republican colleagues about their fascination with it, is the notion of the composition of the Supreme Court, which euphemistically is referred to as court packing. I have said on the floor, and I will repeat here, uh, there is exactly one living senator who has effectively changed the size of the Supreme Court. That was the Republican leader, Senator McConnell, who shrank the court to eight seats for nearly a year in 2016 when he blocked President Obama's nomination of Merrick Garland. Now, that question on court packing was posed to Amy Coney Barrett, justice in the court, when she appeared before this committee. She was asked about it. She said, and I quote, could not opine on it. And on many other policy issues, then Judge Barrett said repeatedly she could not share her views, stating, and I quote, I will not express a view on a matter of public policy, especially one that is politically controversial, because that is inconsistent with the judicial role. I do believe we should have rules and traditions and precedents, but we shouldn't have a separate set of rules for Republican nominees and Democratic nominees. So Judge Jackson, if a senator were to ask you today about proposals about changing the current size of the Supreme Court, what would your response be? Senator, I agree with Justice Barrett in her, um, her response to that question when she was asked before this committee. Some of this stuff is so fucking comedic because it isn't Republicans who want to change the composition of the court. It's them. But while they try to preemptively strike on questions that their colleagues are going to ask, listen to this lady and tell me, does she sound like she's a judge that looks at the laws and the Constitution, or does she sound like an activist? We would not have done to her what was done to her here in the United States Senate. Do you realize that she was filibustered for two years when she was appointed the D.C. Circuit? I didn't know that. Did you know that Joe Biden actively filibustered Janice Rogers Brown? I did not know that. Did you know that he told Face the Nation if Bush nominates her for the Supreme Court, I can assure you that would be a very, very, very difficult fight and she probably would be filibustered. Is that news to you too? Yes. Now that you know that, how do you feel about it? Senator, I can't speak to something that I just learned two seconds ago in your okay, fair conversation with me. Fair enough. As you said, the guideline was based originally on uh, a, a statutory scheme and on directives, specific directives by Congress at a time in which more serious child pornography 
offenders were identified based on the volume, based on the number of photographs that they received in the mail. And that made totally total sense before when we didn't have the internet, when we didn't have distribution. But the way that the guideline is now structured based on that set of circumstances is leading to extreme disparities in the system because it's so easy for people to get volumes of this kind of material now by computers. So it's not doing the work of differentiating who is a more serious offender in the way that it used to. So the commission has taken that into account and, and perhaps even more importantly, courts are adjusting their sentences in order to account for the changed circumstances. But it says nothing about the court's view of the seriousness of this offense. There are um, many tests, many cases in the Supreme Court's uh, jurisprudence that discuss various um, disputes about um, circumstances in which the government can re restrain or regulate speech. And that decision um, establishes to a certain extent that uh, if there is speech that is an incitement to violence, that's one circumstance in which the government might be able to prevent it. But other than that, short of that, um, free speech is supposed to be allowed to happen. Judge Jackson, we've heard criticism from some about your previous work representing detainees at Guantanamo Bay. In fact, for years, we've heard criticisms leveled against lawyers who have provided Guantanamo detainees with legal representation. This criticism misses one critical point. The right to counsel is a fundamental part of our constitutional system, even for the most unpopular defendants. I want to thank Senator Graham, who served as an Air Force lawyer for decades, for offering his perspective yesterday. He said, and I quote, the fact that you're representing Gitmo detainees is not a problem with me, Senator Graham said. Everyone deserves a lawyer. You're doing the country a great service when you defend the most unpopular people. And then Judge Roberts said during his confirmation hearing, it's, it's a tradition of the American bar that goes back before the founding of the country that lawyers are not identified with the positions of their clients. The most famous example probably was John Adams, Chief Justice said, who represented the British soldiers charged in the Boston Massacre. This sentiment is shared by lawyers across the political spectrum. I want to give you an opportunity to address this issue because it applies not just to Gitmo detainees, but to your work as a public defender uh, in terms of the uh, wisdom, if acceptability of providing counsel in those cases and what impact it's had on you personally in terms of your rulings on the bench. Thank you, Senator. Um, September 11th was a tragic attack on this country. We all lived through it. We saw what happened and um, there were many defenses, important defenses that Americans undertook. There were Americans whose service came in the form of military action. My brother was one of 
those Americans, those brave Americans who um, decided to join the military to, to defend our country. There are others of you in this body who have military service, and I honor that to protect our country. After 9-11, there were also lawyers who recognized that our nation's values were under attack, that we couldn't let the terrorists win by changing who we were fundamentally. And what that meant was that the people who were being accused by our government of having engaged in actions related to this under our constitutional scheme were entitled to representation. We're entitled to be treated fairly. That's what makes our system the best in the world. That's what makes us exemplary. I was in the Federal Public Defender's Office when the Supreme Court, uh, excuse me, right after the Supreme Court decided that individuals who were detained at Guantanamo Bay by the president could seek a review of their detention. And those cases started coming in and federal public defenders don't get to pick their clients. They have to represent uh, whoever comes in and it's a service. That's what you do as a federal public defender. You are standing up for the constitutional value of representation. And so I represented, uh, as an appellate defender, some of those detainees. In the early days, the legal landscape was very uncertain. Uh, this had never happened before, not only the attack, but also uh, the uh, use of executive authority to detain people in this way. And there were a lot of questions that the court was asking. The Supreme Court had taken a series of cases to try to understand what are the limits of executive authority, which is important. All of our liberty is at stake if we don't get it right in terms of what the executive can do. The Supreme Court has recently reaffirmed that the Constitution does not get suspended in times of emergency. And so lawyers were trying to help the court to figure out, figure out what the executive's power was in this circumstance. And as an appellate defender, I worked on the habeas petitions of some of these detainees. My petitions were virtually identical because we had very little information. Part of the issue at the very beginning of these cases was that most of the factual information was classified. So defense counsel were appointed to represent these defendants. We had no facts. And I was making legal arguments about the circumstances. That is what gave rise to my representation. And I would just emphasize that that's the role of a criminal defense lawyer. Criminal defense lawyers make arguments on behalf of their clients in defense of the Constitution and in service of the court. Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. No. 
No, she, she's not a judge. She's an activist. Her her whole record says she's an activist. That's all she is. She doesn't answer shit. And unfortunately, most of the Republicans spend their time doing this dumb shit. Well, except for Hawley and a couple sharp ones. But a lot of that, we're not going to treat you like Kavanaugh. We're just going to fucking lay down. Not for this court, I haven't. Not for the U.S. Supreme Court. But how is it acceptable for a lower court if, it wasn't, if it's not acceptable for a higher court? I would say it is acceptable. And uh, if I had known about that, I'm not sure which judge you're referring to, but if there are judges who have been soft on charge of defenders and systematic kind of pattern, would that be a big problem? And if I had known that at the time, I would have my support. But again, I've only voted on one Supreme Court justice, and I don't think, I don't think there's a pattern. We have looked through your record, and it shows that you have voted for at least three federal judges that have imposed lighter sanctions on child porn offenders. So how do you square that? Yes, yeah, I mean, same answer. Not from this court. And uh, I think that, you know, a pattern is... Is going to be a problem wherever I'm aware of it. So, just in this instance, I think I know that's the White House talking point, but I think it's a dangerous one. So you got to be careful with that. I mean, it's a, you know, it's the old well, everybody else is jumping off a cliff, so I will too. But shouldn't you have been concerned about it then? If you're concerned about it now? Oh, I, I am concerned about it. So do you regret your course. decision then? Well, I, I don't know. What, I don't, I'm not sure which judges you're talking about because I haven't seen the White House's talking points on this. I know that this is their new line. But, uh, it's not. We'll it's, it's public information. We actually yeah, have it here. Sure. Uh, at least three um, federal appeals court judges: Which Joseph one? Bianco of the Second Circuit, and what were the cases? Um, Andrew Brasher of the Eleventh Circuit. I mean, what you, were the you cases? voted for them. What were the cases? Though? Shouldn't you be familiar with their well, records? What were the well? cases? You know the record. <laughs> so you have some data. You don't know the record. What? But what cases was it after? So do you expect me to just... How many... Oh, well, I expect you to know the facts since you're asking me about them. So how many cases did they have? Judge Jackson has seven. I just listed them. What are the ones that these judges have? The larger point, Senator, which I think they're not... So you don't know. You're just here to do a gotcha. When you know and get the facts, come back to me. Yeah, I can talk to you about it. Good luck. We started down this road of character assassination in the 1980s with Judge Bork's hearings, and senators have been engaged in disgusting theatrics ever since. The most recent Supreme Court nominee was subjected to repeated accusations that were nothing more than unfiltered religious bigotry against her. The nominee before her was accused of serial rape, uh, aided by members of this committee. If this process were conducted in good faith, Miguel Estrada and Janice Rogers Brown might well be on the Supreme Court today, but their opponents lied and bullied rather than accepted principled minority judges. We've gotten so used to this kind of bullying that two years ago, the current Senate Majority Leader stood on the steps of the United States Capitol and screamed threats against two sitting justices of the Supreme Court that they would, quote, reap the whirlwind if they ruled in a way that didn't align with Chuck Schumer's political preferences. That's weird. We should all be able to pause and say, that's weird. That kind of behavior shouldn't happen. Committee happily filibustered Judge Janice Rogers Brown, a very qualified African-American woman nominated to the D.C. Circuit. And they did so precisely because they wanted to prevent Judge Brown from becoming Justice Brown, the first African-American woman. Joe Biden was among the Democrats filibustering the first African-American woman nominated to the D.C. Circuit. The senior Democrats on this committee also 
filibustered Miguel Estrada. As the staff for Senator Ted Kennedy said in writing at the time, the Democrats filibustered Miguel Estrada, quote, because he is Hispanic. They were explicitly racial. If you dare, if you are Hispanic or African-American and you dare depart from their political orthodoxy, they will crush you, they will attack you, they will slander you, they will filibuster you. It is only one side of the aisle, the Democratic aisle, that went so into the gutter with Judge Robert Bork that they invented a new verb to Bork someone. It is only one side of the aisle that with Justice Clarence Thomas was so reprehensible that is, the president who nominated him, President George Herbert Walker Bush, wrote at the time, quote, what's happening to Clarence Thomas is just plain horrible. All the groups that tried to beat him up on abortion or affirmative action have now come out of the woodwork. They are trying to destroy a decent man. This is an ugly process, and one can see clearly why so many good people elect to stay out of public life. As Justice Thomas observed in that hearing, what happened there was, to use his words, a high-tech lynching. And I would note the chairman who presided over that disgrace was Joe Biden. And then most of the members of this committee remember the confirmation hearing of Brett Kavanaugh, one of the lowest moments in the history of this committee, where Democrats on this committee sat on allegations, didn't refer them to the FBI, didn't ask for investigations, hid them, and then leaked them against the wishes of the complainant. And we began a circus that featured Spartacus moments, featured such nuts as Michael Avenatti, whom CNN breathlessly for some months described as a possible Democratic presidential candidate. That's before, presumably, he became a felon in recent months. Judge Jackson, I can assure you that your hearing will feature none of that disgraceful behavior. No one is going to inquire into your teenage dating habits. Other than law. You once wrote that every judge has, and I quote, personal hidden agendas, end quote, then influence how they decide cases. So I can only wonder, what's your hidden agenda? Is it to let violent criminals, cop killers, and child predators back to the streets? Is it to restrict parental rights and expand government's reach into our schools and our private family decisions? Is it to support the radical left's attempt to pack the Supreme Court? You have praised the 1619 Project, which argues the U.S. is a fundamentally racist country. And you have made clear that you believe judges must consider critical race theory when deciding how to sentence criminal defendants. Is it your personal hidden agenda to incorporate critical race theory into our legal system? These are answers that the American people need to know. So we are going to look at past statements and decisions and seek clarification from this committee before we make our decisions. So let me close again by congratulating you on your impressive career and your nomination to the nation's highest court. I'm going to tell you right now, 
this lady's pretty bad. But for asking it, Ian Milheiser, the Josh Hawley stuff, I imagine Mitch McConnell can't be happy about Josh Hawley turning the KBJ confirmation hearing into free-for-all for for people who think John Podesta is running a sex trafficking ring, a comet ping-pong. QAnon. This is her record. And ABC promptly fact-checked. Sonny Harley attacked KBJ's child porn senses lack critical context, including the fact that the senator had voted to confirm at least three federal judges who also gauged to the same mainstream, which is not a fact check. What he says is right. NBC. Nothing Senator Hawley said about Brown Jackson has been debunked. Fact check. Republicans twist her record because they know it's bad. I mean, the Maisie Arano with, uh, you're, they're saying you're a token or a, a affirmative action. The President of the United States said she was affirmative action. Republicans didn't have to. He literally said, I'm just going to hire somebody because they're black and they have a vagina. Jonathan Turley, before we play the media, just lost their shit over this. MSNBC commentator, nation justice correspondent Ellie Mistal recently accused General Hawley of trying to kill Supreme Court nominees. Judge KBJ, his weapon, a question about her prior legal standing. Hawley murderous plot was due to his interest in Jackson's record from the U.S. Sentencing Commission. Without any pushback from the host, Tiffany Cross, Mistal explained that just discussing it position is sentence, sentencing is an effort to have her killed. This type of logic makes six degree from Kevin Bacon look like a DNA test. Sam Stein. And these are the people that were all in on Kavanaugh. Supreme Court confirmation hearings have basically become venues for airing grievance over past confirmation hearings, nomination process, or lack thereof. Oh, really? Your side doesn't do it because Republicans don't do what you do. They just don't. I mean, the fact is, this is Joe Biden... For a black woman who had an R behind her name. Um, and uh, But I have no intention to filibuster somebody. It depends on who the president sends. But I could see a circumstance. Mm-hmm. For example, if he set up Edith Jones, I can assure you that would be a very, very, very difficult fight. And she probably would be filibustered. What about what, Janice what a- Rogers Brown? Someone uh, else. Me, I'm, 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 I'm not, uh, by the way, I misspoke. I misspoke. Janice Rogers Brown is what I meant to say. Oh, okay. I misspoke. Thank but, you for but, but wasn't she Janice wasn't Rogers she Brown just wasn't she just confirmed though? How do you invoke the extraordinary circumstances yes. clause of the agreement of the gang of fourteen for somebody who's just why. been confirmed? Because a circuit court of a judge is bound by stare decisis. They don't get to make new law. They have to abide by the for example, she So so what you're saying is the Supreme a, Court's different than different the ballgame. Right. Okay. Totally different ballgame. But that's okay. This is Ruth Marcus who wrote those articles, and she says it's fair now. It's, see, they, they don't have a moral compass. They just don't have a moral compass. And all fucking last two days, you're getting tweets like this. Oh, I think they're upset about Kavanaugh. Do you think? Today's a good day. Let's talk about Kavanaugh. That's another journo. Yeah, it's still real to them, even though the FBI found nothing. But that doesn't really matter. Republican attacking Judge Jackson claimed public defenders are soft on crime. As a former public defender, I have to speak up. Fifth Amendment, we defend the Constitution to ensure all men are created equal. 
Well, damn, that's not very woke, dude. You're not going to win anything. Aaron Rupar, 20-second clips. Really? Uh, Okay, 20-second clips. That's all the left ever does. That's all CNN runs. That's our whole news show. Cutting off comments. Some good people on both sides. Fish food. I mean, I could do a million. So I'm just going to play the hate thing because I hate all these people. This is the media post. For everything you do, I'd like to swallow you. And every day I'm going to blame you. And even if you justify every fucking bullshit lie, it only makes me want to break Republicans who are trying to make uh, political points, some of which were at her expense, some of which were at the larger expense of the Democratic Party. We had a trip to the surreal during Ted Cruz's questioning when uh, there was this extensive discussion of the summer reading list at the Georgetown Day School, uh, the relevance of which was really hard to see. Let's take another trip down that summer reading list and get a reminder for people who are joining us late. Uh, This is Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, He had blow-ups of pictures from these children's books of uh, Georgetown Day School. And many Republicans have been concerned that this is frankly just kind of embarrassing. It does not lead to anything of substance. And she clearly, um, you know, I think in particular because some of this has to do with a school that her kids went to or go go to, I I think there was clearly some tension there. But uh, she answered all the questions. And at the end of the day, it was Ted Cruz holding up pictures of a picture book. And I think that in the context of a Supreme Court nomination, that just seems sort of below the line of of what is important in the big scheme of things. Ted Cruz promised that he would not uh, allow a political circus to take place and he was a clown right mm. <laughs> he he put on a performance so much of what he said was getting at the culture wars in america right now it was not about judge jackson so there's distortion there's grasping there's cherry picking of quotes and it all just sort of reeks of desperation ellie let's turn to um the child pornography defendant uh line here um ted cruz said that he saw in judge jackson an activism and advocacy as it uh, concerns sexual predators, sexual offenders. Is he trying to argue that she is pro-child porn defendant? Like what? I don't. I don't know what that line uh, of, of questioning was about specifically. Would you pick up? It, it almost sounded to me like that's what he was trying to do, which is a ridiculous line of attack. Uh, let's get to some of what the judge is going to face in terms of questioning. I want to play for everyone what she, what's going to come at her. Um, and Dick Durbin already kind of alluded to this when he said early, like, these baseless charges are unfair. Uh, Durbin's likely specifically talking about some of what's been lined up as a line of attack coming from Republicans like Senator Josh Hawley. And Hawley was on Fox News early today kind of laying out where he's headed. And Laura, his assessment's been fact-checked, found to lack significant context at the very least. But this is what the judge is going to face in terms of some of the questioning that's going to come at her. How, How does she respond? 
Well, I have no doubt that she'll respond well to something that is as disingenuous as that statement. What's reality here is they're trying to throw everything against the wall and hoping that it will stick. Number one, public defenders, and trust me, I've been a federal prosecutor, we did not view them as enemies because they were somehow soft on crime. We didn't view them as enemies at all. They were part of a symbiotic relationship to try to ensure that injustice would not occur. They are not soft on crime. They are hard on just injustice. That's what a, that's what a judge should actually be. And what Hawley is trying to do in the extreme in my opinion, in a toxic way, uh, in my opinion, is to say that, you know, she sentences these offenders, these um, sex, potential sex offenders and sex offenders in a more lenient way than her fellow uh, judges, which, if you look at the numbers, is also not true. And we ought to hear what kind of a, of a judge Katanji Brown-Jackson really is, rather than listening to politicians make their political points, which, of course, they... And by the way, they still think Ibram Kendi is a critical race theorist. I've asked him. <laughs> He's not. They don't know what critical race theory is. They're not smart enough. Supposedly, Ted Cruz went to law school. Apparently, only Katanji Brown-Jackson was in class, and he was probably skipping classes and <laughs> sleeping, because he doesn't know what critical race theory is. Ibram X. Kendi is not a critical race theorist, and everyone who says he is is an idiot or a liar. I have to say, and I'll, I'll end with this, um, and I guess I'll throw it to you, Harry. What bothered me about watching this today was men, and I'm going to specifically say Josh Hawley, who had nothing to say and fully supported Brett Kavanaugh. They're claiming that they are the defenders of the integrity of childhood. They're going to go after child pornography and rape, and they're going to defend, you know, the integrity of childhood. Brett Kavanaugh was accused, credibly, of rape, and the victims were teenage girls and college students, high school and college students. So Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham and all the rest of you, Mike Lee, all of you, and Tom Thuggish Cotton, you didn't defend the teenage victims of the man you gleefully put in a lifetime position on the Supreme Court. You don't get to say anything about Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. She bested you in a... This nomination does not change, potentially change the center of gravity, ideological gravity uh, in the Supreme Court. Will that change? Do you think how Republicans will go after her? Uh, will they hold back and, and realize this is not the hill maybe they want to die on? Oh, I suspect a little of that, Lester. The other thing is they're going to have a hard time coming up with something new. Remember, she just went through this eight months ago when she was nominated for the Court of Appeals. So she's been through a lot of these questions before about decisions she made during her eight years as a uh, judge, a trial judge here in Washington. Now, granted, Supreme Court confirmation hearings are always different. But what isn't changed is her record. And if so, if they're going to ask her about the record, she's been, this is sort of asked and answered before. Do you see any hurdles after what you heard no, today? No, not now. And I don't see any red flags. And I see nothing that's going to come up uh, based on people I've talked to or interviews that I've had about her record. I do see three key areas that Republicans are going to focus on tomorrow. They have started unveiling that today. They're going to try to discern her judicial philosophy to show that, unlike the picture that we just saw, that they think she will be some kind of judicial extremist. I think that's going to be pretty hard for them to do. I was also struck by that full-hearted 
a voicing of American patriotism at, at the beginning of her remarks, just as she did when President Biden nominated her. Uh, this is a person who knows firsthand, obviously, the greatest crisis in our country's history, the crisis of racism, ha has lived through it and still loves the country openly. Uh, I think that obviously is one of the reasons that not only President Biden selected her, but it's going to be very difficult for the Republicans really to, to do a lot of damage to a candidate. CNN senior legal analyst Laura Coates with us as well. Laura, how do you think the judge has done so far? I think she's doing phenomenally well. And I will note, of course, that I am twinning in her outfit inadvertently. But let me tell you, that's really where the comparisons stop because she is phenomenally talented in what she's doing. Of course, it's her fourth time being before the Judiciary Committee. And so she's well aware of the stakes and what needs to be done in order to make sure that she is conveying her intellect in a way that is persuasive, that is compelling, and really showcases what she's all about. I will say the moments with Senator Lindsey Graham were perhaps the most shocking of the day. The discussions of trying on the one hand to educate the first black woman to be nominated to the Supreme Court of the United States, to try to attempt to educate her on double standards in America was just too rich for me. So was the notion of him trying to use the time to think he squandered a great deal, squandering the time pointing out the ideas of other past nominees as opposed to focusing on this particular person. Kate, can I Ma just add? Can I just add one point about these, these, these kiddie porn cases? And, and this, this came up, I remember, when I was an assistant U.S. attorney back in the 90s, is that when those, uh, when those uh, sentencing guidelines were written for those cases, th this was a time when uh, the people who committed these crimes would order individual photos and, 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 get, and then get them usually through email. Um, and then uh, they would be sentenced based on the number of photos they put. But here's the thing. Josh Hawley is not backing down. What he is doing is dangerous. It's character assassination of a woman who is going to be confirmed. So what is your take on what he's doing? My take on this is that it's not actually about Katanji Brown-Jackson. She is, as you say, a foregone conclusion, a fait accompli. She will sit on the Supreme Court, and Josh Hawley knows that. What this is, is about 2022 and the midterm elections and 2024. And I think we saw all of the Republicans fall in line on this, staking out particular claims that she was a woman who was soft on crime, that Democrats are soft on crime, that the Biden administration is soft on crime. And they're laying a foundation for talking points that can't be easily refuted without getting into the nitty gritty of her record and the cases and what has been going on at the granular level in these localities. They're simply making sound bites that are going to be used in the 2022 midterms and again in 2024 in the presidential election to basically make the argument that the Republican Party is the party that is hard on crime, that is tough on crime, and the Democrats are soft on crime. She is merely a pawn in a political action that's going to be laid out over the next couple of months and indeed the next couple of years. Okay. The former president, current Florida resident, he nominated roughly a dozen judges that the American Bar Association rated not qualified. Now, according to that very same American Bar Association, Judge Katanji Jackson has the highest possible rating. So help me understand, what measure could the Republicans possibly be using that they are perfectly happy with Trump appointees, but not with this Biden pick? 
Well, I wouldn't know what to say to explain their objections to a nominee who has absolutely superlative credentials and qualifications for this role. Um, she's truly uh, made for this moment. And I think this is what goes for news. It's they're so arrogant. It's like, how dare you question one of us? Who are you to question us? Th- this is how do you adjudicate title title freaking seven claims without being able to answer the question? Title nine? They don't want to do it. She's just <clears throat> her board. Face at the bottom of the well, a founding, a founding text of critical race theory is a personal touchstone. The book claims America is irredeemably racist, speculate that whites might re-enslave blacks, and endorses Louis Farrakhan. They know it. They don't care. They just don't fucking care. And John Haywood has a really good one, and we're going to go through it because he's right. The funniest thing about Jackson's I'm not a biologist dodge is that under current Democratic Party ideology, biologists are the absolute last people on earth who have anything to say about the definition of womanhood. Trying to aim the mic. I heard it was kind of fucked up last time. Biology and science left the room a long time ago on the politicized discussion of human sexuality, and they won't be invited back in the room anytime soon. The entire point of transsexual ideology is the triumph of individual will and collectivist politics over biology. This is the highest relevant to Supreme Court confirmations because militant transsexualism is all about using coercive force to make everyone ignore biology. Transfascism is quite literally about punishing anyone who brings biology science into the conversation. There will be legal fights over transfascism in the years to come, and when they reach the Supreme Court, radicals and their enablers have no business being there. KBJ was caught lying far too many times yesterday for anyone who knows what time it is to vote for confirmation. These were not little lies she told either. She lied about issues of great relevance relevance to the American people like critical race theory, pedophilia, and the 1619 Project. That dodge was horrible. It's illuminating that even at this late date, Democrats feel obliged to back away from the madness they gleefully imposed on America's children behind closed doors. They still can't be loud and proud about their indoctrination programs. That's a hopeful sign for the country. But it matters a great deal that KBJ looks like another in a long line of Democrats who conceal their radicalism until they have the power to impose it on the rest of us. Our government is riddled with people like that, and it's killing us. We need no more stealth radicals. The story of left over the past half century has been talking one way to the normies when it's time to cage their votes or slip a nominee through confirmation hearings, but acting very different when there's no scrutiny. That's why they fight so hard about scrutiny. Supreme Court hearings are just partisan shouting matches and exercise of raw power these days. But if this was any kind of a real deliberation or reasoned debate, KBJ would have been disqualified herself yesterday. The GOP probably can't stop this, but they should damn well try. There are so many red flags. So many. But what did Chuck Todd say? Next week was supposed is the debut of Judge Katanji uh, Brown Jackson, and she. This is where it feels like it's going to be an afterthought. It's yeah. going to be in our old ways of describing the Washington Post, the A four story. 
Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, does that matter? Does that, I guess, hurt President Biden politically because he doesn't get sort of a little bit of a, an afterglow? I mean, one of the big questions going in was, does this have enough of a rally effect, a supportive effect that carries over into the midterms? Right, it's happening so early. Democrats want to get it over by the Easter so recess. So the Republicans anyway. want to get it over with yeah. too. It's because right. like, right. they can't quiz her about inflation. Sure, but they can still ask her about a lot of things. I think in many ways it's going to be a repeat of the hearing she went through almost a year ago. Right, A lot of the same issues are going to come up. Not much has changed since then, and the lens has completely refocused. America yeah. is paying attention to different Some of things. the Republican votes may have changed because now they feel they have to be in lockstep against her. Yeah, it's becoming but, a more party line vote. I, yeah. they, uh, but the other thing yeah. is that it's not going to change the character of the court right. because she's replacing... Right. You know, Breyer, and so it's a liberal for a liberal, and it's not going to change votes on the court. Mm -hmm. It is an historic moment, though, and we shouldn't overlook that. I, I completely, completely agree, and it's why we wanted to make a quick note of it here. Thank you all. He won't get the bounce. He won't get the Zelensky bounce. He won't get the Supreme Court bounce. That's the senior guy on NBC and MSNBC, and you see all he cares about. Bounces. Politics. I mean, usually you don't say those things out loud, but they're so crass now, they know they can. That's what their viewers want them to say. They, that's what they're about. I mean, it's just, it's just fucking unbelievable. So before, as we say again to our, say again, I don't know what that means, and to Hunter Biden, I wanted Tucker to be able to have his speak. Not surprisingly, given how she got this job, most of the talk in Washington was not about what she's done, how she thinks, what she's like as a person, but instead about how she looks. It's not shallow or anything. Here's the shallowest of all, Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey. I could not stop being just joyous that you were sitting in my office, and I couldn't stop bringing up to you the historical nature of this. Forgive me, I grew up in a small black church where I was taught uh, to make a joyous noise unto the Lord. And this is not a normal day for America. We have never had this moment before. <laughs> I grew up in a small black church. Naden. Another lecture about the black experience from a blue-eyed Yale graduate who, in fact, grew up in an all-white town, the son of IBM executives. Is there anyone on this planet phonier than Cory Booker? To her credit, Kandaji Brown-Jackson doesn't seem quite so fraudulent. That would be impossible. But she does, and this is the key, share a resume that is strikingly similar to Cory Booker's. Daughter of academics, graduate of Harvard College and Harvard Law School, on the board of the single wokest day school in Washington, D.C., etc., etc. You know exactly how that story turns out. Because in the end, when they tell you you're getting a black nominee, they're not talking about the son of a maid and a farm worker from Pinpoint, Georgia. In fact, we already have a Supreme Court justice like that. His name is Clarence Thomas. He is a great man, even if no one in Washington will acknowledge that. No, what they mean when they tell you you're getting a black Supreme Court justice is that you're getting yet another Democratic Party robot with the same rigid and totally predictable views as your average professional class white liberal, but, who happens to be tanner than Joe Biden. So identical, identical to everyone else in power, just a different shade. And the shade, to be fair, does make all the difference. That's the whole point of the exercise. Because of the way that she looks, Brown Jackson, who again, is just a garden variety white liberal in what she believes, but because of the way she looks, this nominee will get nowhere near the vetting of a typical Supreme Court justice. And that, whatever your politics are, is a shame.
I wish you would interview Joe Biden like you interview me. It would be so good. You know what? You the, like this, the, I thought. I thought you I don't were mind it. I don't mind it. But when I watch him walk out of a store, he's in the midst of a scandal. His family is corrupt. Okay, he's corrupt. He's a corrupt politician. And he's walking with a ice cream. And the question the media asks him, what kind of ice cream, what flavor ice cream do you have? And he's in the midst of a scandal. He's not. And he's taking, he's of course not. he is, no. Leslie. Come on. Of course he is. You See know, that? You the Senate So you're like, you're like, you're like big tech. You're protecting him. And everyone is, except for yeah, but you're exact, people. You're, you're taking something that was investigated Leslie, by let, a let Republican committee. You think it's okay for the mayor of Moscow's wife to give him millions and millions of dollars, three and a half million dollars, to give his family three and a half. Do you think it's okay for Hunter Biden to say, to say that we're giving, we're giving the big guy 10% of this massive amount of money they're taking in? Do you think it's okay for all of these horrible things that you've seen where they're getting hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars, where China gives them a billion and a half dollars to manage the family, a billion and a half dollars, and then he's supposed to negotiate. Let me tell you, it's the biggest, second biggest scandal. So, the biggest scandal was when they spied on my campaign. They spied on my campaign. There's no real evidence of that. The media is uh, the corrupt. The In my opinion, the media is corrupt. But, you know, but you the media is fake. And frankly, if I didn't have social media, I'd have no way of getting out my voice. You know what you told me a long time ago when I asked why you keep saying fake in yeah. media? Yeah. You said to me, I say that because I need to dis uh, discredit you so that when you say negative things about me, no one will believe I don't have to discredit you. But that's what you you've told discredited me. yourself. You told me that. Leslie, you've discredited yourself. When you say that you're not going to cover Biden, you're going to ask him what flavor ice cream he has. Okay. That's Instead of why did Hunter get three and a half million dollars from Moscow? Instead of why is an energy company paying your son one hundred eighty-three thousand dollars a month or whatever they're paying him, and he has no experience in energy? You know, you discredit yourself. I don't have to discredit so, you. So this story about Hunter and his laptop, some repair shop found it. The source is uh, Steve Bannon and Rudy Giuliani. I don't know anything about that. I just know it's a laptop and, and they haven't. And you're making this one of the hottest, most important issues in your rallies. I, mean, I don't know about the two gentlemen you mentioned. This is the most important I, issue in the country. It's a very now. important issue to find out whether or not a man's corrupt who's running for president, who's accepted money from China <laughs> and from Ukraine and from Russia. All these yeah, I think that's an important issue. It's incredible the way you can try and say this and sit there and look me in the eye and say it. A he accepted money, his family, from Russia, from Ukraine, from China, and from other places. And his brother, who didn't have experience, became a big builder in Iraq without experience. Take a look at what's going on, Leslie. And then you say that shouldn't be discussed. I'm saying it's the biggest scandal out there, Leslie. And you think it's the biggest issue to campaign on? I think it's this. I think it's one of the biggest scandals I've ever seen, and you don't cover it. Biggest. You want to talk about? Well, because it can't be verified. You want to talk I'm about insignificant you, things? I'm telling you. Of course, it can be verified. Excuse we, me. We they found the laptop, Leslie. Leslie. Can't be verified. 
What can't be verified? The laptop. Why do you say that? Because even the family hasn't. The family on the laptop. He's gone into hiding for five days. He's gone into hiding. He's preparing for your debate. Oh, it's taken him five days. Leading up to the 2020 presidential election, the Biden campaign hit a roadblock, a New York Post report about a laptop that landed at a Delaware repair shop apparently belonging to the president's son, Hunter. On that laptop, a trove of emails detailing Hunter's apparent business dealings, including an effort to connect his father, then Vice President Biden, to a Ukrainian energy company where Hunter sat on the board. But the effort to suppress the story came almost immediately. Social media outlets began limiting sharing of the story on their platforms. Facebook calling the move an effort to, quote, reduce the spread of misinformation. Then-President-elect Biden also waded into the waters. Do you still think that the stories from the fall about your son Hunter were Russian disinformation? Yes, yes, yes. But a New York Times report this week confirming the authenticity of the laptop now over a year removed from the first report by the New York Post, the effort to kill the original story is under the spotlight. In the closing days of the campaign, Joe Biden has been forced to address new and unverified claims that he was involved in his son Hunter's foreign business dealings. The president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, says he came into possession of emails allegedly belonging to Hunter Biden and turned them over to the tabloid New York Post. Smoking gun emails. Mr. Trump and his allies have called for an investigation, but the FBI would neither confirm nor deny to 60 Minutes that one was taking place. Do you believe the recent leak of material allegedly from Hunter's computer is part of a Russian disinformation campaign? From what I've read and know, the intelligence community warned the president that Giuliani was being fed disinformation from the Russians. And we also know that Putin is trying very hard to spread disinformation about Joe Biden. And so when you put the combination of Russia, Giuliani, the president together, um, it's just what it is. It's a smear campaign because he has nothing he wants to talk about. In this. What is he running on? Crying about gas prices or, 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 or talking about Hunter Biden's laptop or whatever. I want to set up a quick back and forth between you and Howie. The Hunter Biden laptop, New York Times comes out and says, hey, it's legit after all. Uh, you know, Facebook was going to do a fact check, never did it. Twitter never happened. And you think nobody has apologized at all for this. They were wrong across the media. One, and nobody has said, you know what, we, we screwed that up. It wasn't Russian disinformation. No, but I, th I think there's a larger context here, which is that what was this about? What does it prove? Nobody said it wasn't true. That What was said was that you can't authenticate it. And then you had certain publications that said we have authenticated. The analyst, the intel analyst says, said they didn't, couldn't prove it, Could, but it sure looked like Russian disinformation. Right, couldn't prove it was the key point for organizations. How well, it is an absolute embarrassment that the way that the media downplayed or ignored or mocked or minimized this story that the New York Times now says is under active federal investigation for possible tax violations or lobbying violations by the president's son and, and and they're still not covering it none of the other networks have touched this story it doesn't you know it doesn't mean that hunter biden's going to be indicted it may or may not have a political fallout for his father but when you look back at uh, the way uh, facebook uh, twitter for example said well, you can't even share this information but then how, from the new york how, post this was in the middle of a heated political campaign intended to damage one candidate in the aftermath of russian disinformation i think we were all properly cautious it was censorship that's what it's really about.
Let's get back to the new season storyline. Let's break down how this all happened. Because it was launched, as I showed you, by the New York Post, and then promoted by another Murdoch media property. That, of course, is Fox News. You worry about Trump's corruption, and Fox says, what about Biden? Every hour of the day. So Fox is a producer of this serialized drama, but there are big questions about who might have created this show. And that's what's probably most important here. CNN reported on Friday that U.S. authorities are seeing if those emails we just talked about are connected to an ongoing Russian disinformation effort. Huh. Now, we already know some of the American producers of this drama because the New York Post says it was tipped off to the existence of the emails by Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon. Then Rudy Giuliani gave the Post a copy of a hard drive containing the emails. Now, here's where it gets even weirder. The Post claimed that the emails were found on a laptop computer that was brought to a repair shop in Delaware in the spring of 2019. And a shop employee saw the emails and then was worried about getting in trouble or getting in danger, and he made copies of them. I, there's a lot about this story that does not add up. And the employee has not helped matters. He has contradicted himself in interviews with reporters. And, I mean, for all we know, these emails are made up, or maybe some are real and others are fakes, we don't know. But we do know that this is a classic example of the right-wing media machine. A tip from Bannon and a hard drive dump from Rudy led a former producer for Sean Hannity's show to write a story for the New York Post that gets splashed on the front page that Rudy then used to trash the Bidens all over Fox, and they're doing it almost every hour of the day, and Trump has been hyping the drama for days on end, and this is how it goes on and on. Now let's pull up Don Jr.'s tweet from just a little while ago. How, he says, how will the media attempt to sweep this one under the rug? That is the meta-narrative. That's the big story they're telling. All about grievance and bias and victimhood. So let's talk about the significance of these manufactured scandals. Scant seconds on all of it. But you have some good op-ed stuff. Here's Philip Bump. Yeah. It's been a familiar effort to broadly rewrite the history response laps our story. Here's the context that's being ignored. Even today, the full story isn't clear. It's story straightforward. Mac Isaac obtained a laptop, thought of blah, 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 blah. But there's skepticism. HuffPo. For those frothing at the mouth again about Hunter Biden laptop, and you're not accepting material, you're accepting material from Julianan and Bannon. No, you're missing the key point. It was handed to the FBI, and they sat on it because there was a D behind the person's name. That's the most damning thing. Glenn Greenwald, it's unfortunate the New York Post is one of the few large U.S. outlets willing to hold accountability to Cretans in the U.S. security state for the lies they told about Biden's email being Russian disinformation designed to manipulate the 2020 election. But that's our reality. There's former intelligence officials, trained careers, disinformation agents who are supposed to manipulate other countries, not the U.S. Here's a great breakdown from Vanguard Pod, one of the best and most honest left-wing shows on the Internet, about the role played by the Intercepts editors of spraying the CIA's Russian disinformation line and how the Young Turks supported them. And just by the way, it's been 48 hours since the outlet they regard as the paper of record stated they authenticated the emails in Hunter Biden's archive about Joe activities. Not a single media outlet has spread the CIA lie, has acknowledged it, or even retracted the lie. Outside of CNN, MS, DNC, Pete Bump is arguably the single most partisan DNC hacked in all corporate media. He defends the CIA lie. 
At this time, CIA got a huge number of corporate outlets to spread its lie, but the Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. Axe reporters at the Washington Post warned Biden constantly maligned incriminating reports as Russian disinformation with no evidence. And we're continuing it right here. New inside the 1-6 committee plans to turn its largely secretive investigation into a compelling narrative that includes producing a multimedia presentation in addition to traditional writing report, hiring an outside writer to craft a story. And one of them that's crafting it is this, I think I'm a Republican. I want to ask you about, and I know you've been asked a version of this question before, um, but it, I want to put up what Adam Kinzinger said. He said he doesn't regret many votes, but one that he does regret is that he didn't vote for the first impeachment that was involved with the with the Ukrainian situation. And I know what your answer has been in the past. You didn't think the case had been made. But I'm curious, you're on this January 6th committee. You've seen all the different ways that circumstantially that President Trump uh, reacted and reacted. In hindsight, does it not seem conceivable that he really did hold uh, money hostage for his own political gain and that was indeed an impeachable offense? You know, I, I believe, Chuck, all of us who are in positions of public trust have an obligation to the Constitution. Uh, and so having sat through watching the hearings, watching the evidence that was put on for the first impeachment, at the end of the day, the evidence that was put on didn't make the case. The January 6th situation and attack is obviously something that is fundamentally different. We all watched that un mm -hmm. unfold in real time. We all lived through that attack. Uh, but I will say that the January 6th committee uh, is very much focused on uh, lessons learned from that first impeachment uh, and very much focused on making sure the American people have all the facts uh, and the truth about what happened. All right, uh, let me ask you about that finally, just before I let you go, which is the public uh, uh, expose that you guys are eventually going to do. Um, is, this, is, is this going to, you say it's going to make recommendations. Is it, are we going to, should we expect criminal referrals? on this and should we expect something how much new do you think the public will learn that will actually change the way they thought about january 6. well i think certainly uh, our first priority is to make recommendations and we're looking at things like do we need additional enhanced criminal penalties for the kind of supreme dereliction of duty that you saw with president trump when he refused to tell uh, the mob to go home mm -hmm. after he had provoked that attack on the Capitol. So there will be legislative recommendations and there certainly will be information. Uh, and I can tell you, I have not learned a single thing since I have been on this committee that has made me less concerned or less worried about the gravity of the situation and the actions that President Trump took and also refused to take while the attack was underway. Well, I think they're so invested in it, they can't let it die. Because nothing has transpired to show that what they're saying is true. So just like Russia, 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 they have to keep it going. It's another one this week. We're running out of COVID money. There are billions just laying around. Just laying around. And one of my favorites, this is just good shit. Candace Owens, and you probably saw it by now. But she literally got inquiries because she's propping up Putin. Well, when she replied, she just sent them back the stories they wrote about a year or two ago. 
that Ukraine was corrupt. I remember those stories. The media has conveniently forgot them. So let's do our This is America. Reliable sources turns 20. And this interview, man, I got a lot of thoughts on it. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. Most of the time here on CNN, we look outward and focus on the world's stories. But here, we carve out a little time to look inward at the roles of the media and how the media affects you. It's a tradition that began 30 years ago this month. 30 years ago, Reliable Sources was born. Welcome to a CNN special. I'm Bernard Kalb. Reliable Sources is what this program is called, and the title tells it all. Thanks to Bernie Kalb and original panelist Howard Kurtz and original executive producer Rick Davis, Reliable Sources was born. Not much lasts on TV for three decades, but Reliable is now the longest running program in the history of CNN without any interruptions. Inside Politics premiered earlier, but it went off the air for a while. So RS has been reliable on CNN's schedule because media issues are universal and they're always evolving. As you can see in the very first episode, panelist Marion Golden called for more fact-checking by the press. Why, she said, are news outlets policing campaign ads, but not speeches? But I'm wondering why we have gone to be a truth, squad, a truth squad for these ads and not done the same or similar um, analysis of press conferences, debate statements, speeches, give and take. These days, there is a lot more truth squatting. So slowly but surely, media criticism can improve media diets. In that first episode, it began with a conversation equally relevant today about anonymous sources accusing a high-profile figure of harassment. I believe our biggest value add here is to inform people about how the media really works, why reporters do what they do, because the best critiques, the strongest arguments about improving the press are based on knowing how it operates and why. We all rely on some form of media, and we're all members of the media now with broadcasting tools in our pockets. That's the point of view I've tried to bring to this program, building on Calb and Kurtz's critical lens on the media. By the way, Calb just turned 100 years old, so if he's watching right now, happy birthday and thank you, Bernie. Later this month, just in time for this show's 30th birthday, we're going to expand again. You know, we already have a newsletter now and a podcast in addition to the flagship weekly show. And on March 29th, when CNN Plus launches, we're going to expand into a weekday form. Reliable sources daily on the CNN Plus streaming service will give us space to cover all the stories we can't fit into this hour on Sundays. We look forward to seeing you there and here to explore the story behind the story. So let me finish with something that would have made no sense 30 years ago. Tweet us, email us, send us your ideas for this show. About those international laws, because four days ago, the International Court of Justice ordered Russia to stop its military actions. Mm -hmm. China abstained from that. The vote was 13 to 2. Mm -hmm. The only country that stood next to Russia mm -hmm. was China. Well, that sounds like you are condoning and not condemning. China makes 
his observation and conclusion based independently, based on the merits of the matter itself. On the one hand, the United Nations we Secretary uphold, General said we uphold, that Russia invaded. Yeah, we uphold. On the one hand, China upholds the uh, UN purposes and uh, uh, and the principles, including that the respect for the national sovereignty and the territorial integrity of all countries, including Ukraine. We are in the opinion. Russia amassed more than 150,000 troops at China's border. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why we want well, just to, be clear, to have a China, good, you would, good you would, friendly good neighborly relations with Russia. But you would recognize what, that's what not is, good, friendly, neighborly relations with 150,000 troops on the border of a neighboring country and then to send those troops into that country. Well, In those circumstances, why can't you condemn this as an invasion? Mm -hmm. Well, let's, don't be naive. Condemnation. It sounds naive to say that's not an invasion. It doesn't solve the problem. You know, I, I, I would be surprised if Russia will back down by contamination. What is will, urgently Will they back needed? down if your president is, asks Vladimir Putin to back down? Will your yeah. president ask Vladimir Putin to back we down? We have done so. They rely And we will continue you. to promote peace talks and you know, urge uh, immediate fire. And uh, you know, condemnation you know, only doesn't help. We need wisdom. We need wisdom, we need courage, and we need good diplomacy. Well, Vladimir, Vladimir Zelensky says he would like to meet with Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. Vladimir Zelensky is in a bunker. Mm -hmm. Vladimir Putin is at a political mm -hmm. pro-war rally right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. You can't have diplomacy when it is one country, the only one country willing to actually negotiate. My problem with the interview is China is our real enemy. They're bad dudes. But I never got to hear an answer. And the entire internet was with me going, what the fuck? Let them answer a question. But they don't think they have to. That wasn't journalism. You were just trying to get... 20 second bites for Twitter. So you look like you're a hero. But you weren't. You look foolish. And we didn't get any insight on anything that they were spinning, which really bothers me because when you break it down, we are so beholden to them, we're screwed just screwed i mean what the freaking hell and to show you how invested and how crooked k j b is this is a soundbite that just got released and i know republicans go well maybe she'll be pro-life but listen to the cnn panel. It's not about keeping Roe. It's about changing you. 
Um, there was something I wanted to ask you about. I know she won't change the balance of the court, 6-3, but I wonder if you agree with uh, Linda Greenhouse uh, of The New York Times, who wrote earlier this month that maybe she won't change the court, but she very well may change the conversation, and that's a start. And she talks about how former Justice Thurgood Marshall, uh, in her opinion, was able to influence uh, former Justice Sandra Day O'Connor during their time on the bench together. And I wonder if you think perhaps over time, Justice Jackson might do the same. Sure, certainly it's something we can see in history. I mean, Justice O'Connor herself crossed the aisle several times on cases related to gender discrimination. Um, often, you know, even though she and Justice Ginsburg didn't agree on a lot, they did manage to find common ground when it came to cases that concerned women's rights. Um, and, and Justice Ginsburg actually told me in an interview once that she managed to convince her colleagues to change their minds in a Fourth Amendment case that involved the search of a teenage girl by helping them right. understand just how invasive it would be uh, to be searched that way as a teenage girl. It certainly does matter. And every day, uh, every single term, the court is dealing in questions uh, of both racial and gender discrimination, justice, what are the proper remedies to those issues. And so to have somebody in the room for whom these are not theoretical, um, particularly, yes, we're expecting this case, uh, this abortion decision that could be monumental, could overturn Roe v. Wade. It won't be the last time that the court considers abortion. And oftentimes, these anti-abortion restrictions are made uh, in the name of supposedly protecting black women or black babies. And so to have somebody uh, being rhetorically addressed who can then in the room say, you know, here's the facts, here's some lived experience, um, in addition to their deep legal credentials, I do think makes a difference. That's a really important point, Irene Carmon. It's great to have you. Sorry to have to be brief this morning. but And I truly believe this, and some of you are going to look at me like I'm a partisan hack when I say it. Republicans aren't really the greatest people in the world. And I don't belong to the party. But the reality is they're closer aligned with normal Americans, the majority of us, than Democrats are. Democrats are aligned to about 10 to 18% of the country. This old transgender shit, I had a whole chart made up again. But it's 0.06 of the country. It's like a million people who think they have this problem. That's if you count all the illegals that are in the country and the 2 million that are coming in every fucking year. So that's 24 million just in the two years of Biden. Most of us don't believe what they believe. Most of us don't believe you should have live birth abortion. Like got passed this week in laws. Most of us don't concur with that. But that's their thing. They admit right there, it's not about reporting the news or what Americans are for. It's about convincing you to change your point of view. And if by now you haven't figured out with CRT, LGBTIO, and all the other things they're pushing, it's all indoctrination. Because if you give up your religion, you give up your family, they own you. And they can shove whatever fucking morals, crazy shit they're coming up with. So people aghast over pedophilia. No, she's a liberal. She's an activist. Of course she's for it. I mean, one of her excuses was that it's just easier to get now. So I can't really bust them for that. It's just really easy to find porn. It's the Internet's fault. It's all the Internet's fault. Okay. That's what she said. 
And everybody's fine with it because in the end, once again, it's all a cult. They've replaced religion with every crappy thing they can think of because if they can get you to do that and bend the knee, like on our next show, the Disney stuff, foreshadowing, I mean, where the regulars are walking out because they've been bent by a few people. The Daily Wire right now, Harry's Razor, two tweets, and they wouldn't go with the Daily Wire anymore because of two fucking tweets. Somehow, some way, us normals have to figure out a way to fix this because we're allowing 1% of the country to influence what the rest of us have to go with because it's 10% of the country on fucking Twitter and 1% of that 10% or 10% of the 10%, which is 1%, push everything and whole companies are bucking to it, which is the most insane shit I've ever seen. So we really got to get our shit together. They can't stop this nomination but they made shit up about Kavanaugh and Coney Barrett and these are her record and as you see criticizing facts no 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 not our person and the entire media conglomerate got involved and that's just fucking crazy just crazy. So, this wraps up another episode of Flavor Politics Podcast. Please share this family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com. We can find links to every show we've ever done. Please disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeahs. And I'm hoping to get one in Sunday. We'll see. If not Sunday, then it'll be next Wednesday. So, Sunday is the 27th. Next one be the 30th. Until then, you thank you all for listening. You take care.